I'm going to try to make sure I see all the people all the way on the sides. It's, it's a new perspective for me, yeah. Uh, so we're going to continue this morning and uh, looking at the Beatitudes and, and comparing them with uh, the traditional vices. We've been, if you've been here, you know that we have been looking at these sayings that Jesus gives that start with blessed. For example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for those is the kingdom of heaven, or blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then this morning we'll look at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we're going to compare this with the vice of sloth. Of sloth. Now that's maybe, if you've noticed, that's why there's coloring pages of sloths back there. So even as an adult, if you want to pick up a sloth one, you can do that. But we've been looking at these kind of contrasts to help us not just hear these blessings, but even to examine our lives, because knowing that it's, it's not easy to look at ourselves and to examine our lives or figure out what path is truly life. And so we've looked at, you know, contrasting porn spirit with pride, mourning with envy, meekness with vainglory, and today hunger and thirst for righteousness with sloth. So let's look at our passages. This is Matthew 5. And then we'll look at Luke 14 as well. You can follow in your order uh, or listen, simply listen as I read. Matthew 5, verse 2 and 6. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then Luke 14, 12 through 23. He said also to the man who had invited him, this is Jesus, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to, those, to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. This is God's word given for our good. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be with us. We, we give you thanks that you have called us together. We acknowledge that your call is what interrupts our life and breaks our normal schedules to come and to gather as your people when we become anxious to hear your word. Lord, give us a hunger for it, a, a desire to hear it, and, and by your Spirit, help us to receive it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning as we look at these passages and think about the, the beatitude contrasted with sloth, there's, there's three things or three parts I want us to, to look at. 
First, we're going to talk about sloth. Then we're going to talk about hunger. Then we're going to talk about a table. Sloth, hunger, and a table. Now, this is hard to believe. You might not even believe me if I say this, but today is International Sloth Day. I did, not, I, did not, I, did not, I did not plan it. It's in God's providence, really. It's, it's amazing. So I, looked, I found this out, and I looked it up, and the, the website, the official website of International Sloth Day said you can donate to protect the sloth, of course, or you can take time to slow down, get some more sleep than normal, take a walk in the park, or it suggested a long bubble bath. So <laughs> possibility for later today. It also reads that we may be the most intelligent of the species, but that does not mean that we cannot learn from other species. And who could better teach us to slow down and relax than the sloth? Maybe you, you can picture the sloth in your mind as, I think, part of Sloth Day. I saw in Enjoy, the shop on Lincoln Avenue, there was a book in the window titled The Sloth Who Slowed Us Down, a children's book about a family learning to slow down. And... Uh, the sloth is a cute and cuddly animal, maybe, but it's also a chance, it's kind of a wonder in our ultra-busy society, our ultra-busy culture, that the sloth can even take on uh, this kind of wonder, this idea that it could be almost a hero, one who doesn't get caught up in the rush. But beyond the sloth, what, what comes to mind when you hear that word? Maybe it's just the animal, or is there anything else that comes to mind? And if you're like me, if I, if, you, if I assume that what comes to mind normally is a slowness or a laziness, usually the, the vice sloth is thought of as being lazy. In that case, the lazy, the opposite virtue, the, the opposite would be diligence or hard work. Christians aren't the only ones that talk about this idea of sloth or laziness. The culture might not use the term sloth, but when we live in a setting where productivity and busyness is kind of highly valued, we can understand that laziness is looked down upon. But it's important on this International Sloth Day that we recognize that there is a twist to the vice of sloth. That often what we come to think about is laziness, but the Christian tradition has actually always pushed beyond that. It's not just about laziness or hard work. In fact, when you read about sloth and the Christian tradition, that being busy, ultra-busy, or being a workaholic, that those are actually symptoms of the vice of sloth as well. The idea that the inertia of a lazy person or the perpetual motion of the busy person can both represent a heart that is affected by sloth. And how can that be? What I want us to hear this morning is that sloth beyond this animal, that sloth as a vice, is our resistance to engage in what is difficult. Sloth is about ultimately not about laziness or hard work, but it's an apathy toward the good. Think about it this way, it's an avoidance of anything or anyone that would move us out of our comfort or maybe bring difficulty the deeper category of sloth is our aversion towards the, de the demands of relationship. It's our resistance to the demands of love, of loving another person. The call to holiness, our resistance to God's call, that our life might not simply be our own. 
Sloth moves deeply into those places that can be hard for us to look at. And therefore, it might motivate us to avoid such things by inactivity, kind of numbing ourselves or pulling away. Or it might motivate us to keep ourselves so busy, so distracted, that we don't have time to think about the things that are hard for us to face. There's a well-known author named Saul Bellow. In his book, Humboldt's Gift, he talks about sloth. He, He says, sloth is really a busy condition, hyperactivity. This activity drives off the wonderful rest or balance without which there can be no poetry or art or thought, none of the highest human expressions. These slothful sinners labor because rest terrifies them. They labor because rest terrifies them. If you're like me, there's part of that that maybe you can identify with. That to set things down or to actually look at the other person in your house or to think about what's before you or what's going on inside of you brings forth things that seem overwhelming or difficult. And a society that is slothful is one that does not create space for silence or solitude. It is terrified of deep questions, deep needs, and the reality of God. So on International Sloth Day, that's the, the vice, that's the, the challenge that the church has recognized within us and in the world. But not only do we want to talk about sloth, we want to talk about hunger. For in contrast to sloth, this unwillingness to engage hard things or an apathy towards the good, Jesus, in contrast, says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's only by directing our hunger and thirst towards God, towards what is good, that we will be satisfied. And it's important right away that we see how Jesus frames this blessing. Maybe this is obvious, but we, we want to make sure we see that He says, blessed are they who hunger and thirst. Jesus does not bless those who have arrived. He doesn't bless those who have full stomachs. Rather, He blesses the men and women Children who are aware that things are not the way they are supposed to be. He blesses those who long for righteousness, injustice, right conduct. They recognize it's missing in themselves, in their community, in the world. I hunger and thirst, and blessed are they who long for things to be different. And this blessing reminds us that in the creation story, how the Bible presents what it means to be human, that one of the first ways that you and I are described in the Bible is that we are presented as hungry. We are presented as hungry. Adam and Eve, our first parents, are hungry. And to this hungry beings, God gives the whole world as food. Humans must eat, must enjoy the fruit of the garden In order to live, we must take God's creation into our bodies and transform it into ourselves, into our flesh and blood. And what we're seeing there is that in this way, God's creation, God's gift, is really God's banquet table for us. This image of the banquet table runs through Scripture and it invites us to see God as our host, the one who welcomes and provides, the one who gathers us, not just to eat, but to be and God's presence. We'll talk more about that when we talk about the table. 
What I want us to see, though, all creation depends on food. All creation depends on food. All exists by eating. But humans are unique. We uniquely hunger for God. And it's through our hunger, through our physical hunger, that God invites us to His gifts, to His provision, and ultimately communion with Him. We have a sense of this when we think about hunger. Maybe you can think about a meal enjoyed with family or friends. Maybe you can think of a, a nice cookout, a nice even dinner at a restaurant that you enjoyed with others. We know that in its best moment that hunger and thirst is not just about food. It's about sitting at a table with other people. It's about communion. And here is a picture that God gives to us. God blesses Adam and Eve as a generous host and loving father, welcoming them and giving them food so that they would remember, that we would remember that our hunger always is meant to point beyond food, always beyond our next meal. It points to our dependence upon God. But many of us know the story of the opening chapters of the Bible of Adam and Eve. They came to believe the lie that they were on their own. They came to believe that they were left to themselves needing to fend for that hunger and thirst, that their bodies just needed food, and it doesn't matter really where they would direct it as long as they got it, that God would not provide. And that lie impacts not just them, but you and I as we fend for ourselves and we forget that our hunger was to point us somewhere else, we turn within to fend for ourselves, not trusting that God will provide in the face of these lies, there are terrible consequences. And God invites us again, though, to remember that He's inviting us to Himself through our hunger. We heard Dana read from Isaiah, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat, God says. Come buy without money, without price. And here's the question that I think hopefully resonates. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, God says. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does it mean for our hunger not just to be about our bodies or about bread, but about something else? Well, first I want us to see that to hunger and thirst for righteousness means that we affirm that we are made by God for God. That we do not live by bread alone, but we need God's Word, God's communion for us. That our hunger and thirst reminds us that we are made for communion with God. And second, though, to hunger and thirst for righteousness also means that we are protesting against the way things are. That we are protesting against the lie that everyone has to look out for himself or herself. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to long for things to be different because things are not the way they're supposed to be. To hunger and thirst is a holy discontent, a resistance instead of indifference towards the evil in us and around us. 
So we've heard about sloth, and we've heard the contrast that Jesus invites us rather to experience our hunger as something that would move us towards others and ultimately towards God, to recognize what's broken in us and to turn towards God. And the last thing I want us to think about is a table, a picture of a table. Our hunger points us beyond just food. It points us to communion. And that's at the heart of our passage from Luke 14 that I read. The banquet and table invites us to see God as our host. The table is not about having independent status. It's not about finding your place because you've deserved it there. Do you see what Jesus says when he talks about the table? He's pointing that there's something more going on here than that he was invited to a nice meal by some people who had affluence and means. Jesus says when you have a meal, when you invite people, you should invite not those who can pay you back, not the rich, but you should invite the poor, those who are not able to pay you back. And Jesus, right from the beginning, is making a reversal, telling those at the table that this table is a picture of how God is at work in the world. That our hunger and thirst is an awakening, that we want things to be different, that, that God hasn't left us in our sin, hasn't left the world the way it is, but that God is going to create a meal, a banquet, in which he invites people again to be in communion with him. And it's not a communion based on our ability to be there and pay him back, but it's based on his goodness and provision. And it's out of that kind of reversal that Jesus then tells a story. There was a person who had a great banquet and invited many. And we can recognize maybe in what's happening is something similar to what happens in our kind of wedding receptions or large banquets. There was some kind of double invitation. There was an invitation sent out in RSVP. When the meal was ready, the people would be sent for again. So he has invited people to come. The host has counted who has said they're coming. And when everything is ready, he sends his servant out to say to those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. The guests have had time to prepare. The meal is ready, and now the final call arrives. Come, for everything is now ready, but we see that they offer excuses. I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. These are legitimate tasks and responsibilities. They have been invited and agreed to come, but now the feast is ready, and they say no. God's invitation to his table interrupts them. It interrupts even the normal tasks of their life, their home, their work, their family. And as a result of giving attention to those things that were before them, the busyness that before them, they do not come when they are told things are ready. Recently in the Atlantic magazine, there was an article titled, Why You Never See Your Friends Anymore. Our unpredictable and unburdened schedules are overtaking America's society. And the article goes on to ask if, why you are too busy to cook or too busy to see others it's because we're all working too much. And I don't know if that's your experience or not, but that's what this article put forth. It made me think of the sloth. I looked up how the sloth eats, and what I found out is that the sloth is a solitary animal. 
you know, who, and it, the, the, the article was great, though it said that the sloth has no time to be lonely because he or she sleeps for 15 hours a day. So. <laughs> but we are not solitary, right? And we long to be connected to one another. We are actually made to be in relationship with God, with one another, with ourselves, and with this world. And there's all sorts of things that disrupt that. And in our culture today, one of the things that disrupts it is the demands of work and schedules and activities. And so I want us to dwell for a moment on these excuses that were offered because it's important for us to see that these aren't saying, I'm not interested, I don't believe in you. It's saying, I'm busy, I have things to take care of. Therefore, I can't come to the meal that's been set. Tending to life's responsibilities, no great protest but a resistance to make space, a resistance to be interrupted. In the name of taking care of responsibilities, they decide that they will find their food and drink elsewhere. Jesus tells a story that because they're taking care of their responsibilities and refusing to be interrupted, they have decided that they will find their food and drink elsewhere, that they will take care of their hunger and thirst on their own. Here is an example of sloth, not laziness, but an unwillingness to be interrupted, an unwillingness to be invited to something that would change our schedule. Everyone hungers. Everyone is looking for something that will satisfy, and we must direct this hunger somewhere. We may deny it or push it down or direct it to other projects or responsibilities, yet God is still there. And God is inviting us to direct our hunger and thirst to Him. Today, I think this is what we want God's inviting us to hear in this beatitude today. Whoever we are and whatever we're facing, whatever our schedule, no matter how long we've been going to church, today God invites you to bring your hunger to His table. Fleming Rutledge in her book, talks about God's Word and how it interrupts us. and She writes, there is a fundamental distinction between saying we have questions about the Bible versus the Bible has questions for us. Contrary to the storyline in these spiritual journals, the biblical narrative does not tell of our journey toward God. Rather, it's the other way around. God did not wait for Adam to start looking for him. It is God who came looking with the question, Adam, where are you? The first words spoken to fallen humanity. Adam, where are you? God is inviting us. He's moving towards us. And we have a chance to think about the sloth, how it looks, what sloth looks like for you and for me. Is it an unwillingness to face a problem, a resistance to the demands of love in your home or in the church or in your work or neighborhood? Is it ignoring destructive patterns and behaviors is it a passiveness or a busyness? Is your schedule so full you have no place to consider or hear God? Is there a break in the relationship that calls for your repentance or your forgiveness, but yet you have no interest in looking? And I want to say that those things are not light. Or say them to myself, they can be overwhelming. And so part of the, the beauty of remembering the table, that there was a banquet that was set that God is not inviting us simply by ourselves to sort those things out, but inviting us to himself and even inviting us with one another. 
that some of the things that we don't want to look at, we need a friend, a brother and sister in Christ, a pastor or a therapist to help us to do that. But God is calling us to not look away, but to look and be honest, to bring our hunger and thirst and righteousness to Him. God is calling you to His banquet and reminds you that you were made for God. And that even in the midst of our sin and our brokenness, even in the midst of the world not being what we're supposed to be, God has invited us again, set a table for us again. The forbidden tree and the eating of the fruit by Adam and Eve that brought the fall was an image of humans eating food onto themselves, eating as an individual act, an end in itself. But God is interested in letting our hunger draw us to him. So the servant goes back and tells the master, and the the household has been prepared, the table has been prepared, everything is ready. So he sends out the messenger again to find others who would come. He goes to the highways and hedges to compel people to come in, to the blind, the lame, the crippled, the poor, and they come. Some guests do not come, but others do. Sometimes it's the very ones we would expect to respond and come that offer excuses. And it's the ones who do not seem like they will hear the invitation that drop whatever they're doing, and they come. The poor, the crippled, the lame, they are open and ready, for God invites the hungry and thirsty. He invites the unsatisfied to come to his table. Of course, this table that God sets for us, the banquet, ultimately points to the cross. For on the cross, Jesus took our hunger and thirst upon himself. It's not insignificant. Jesus, from some of his last words from the cross, were, I thirst. In his fullness of God's love, he entered fully into our humanity, the depths of our hunger and our thirst. And he bore it himself that we may be reminded again that our hunger and thirst belongs to him, to bring them to him. They remind us that we were made for God, not just ourselves. Let me close by saying the spiritual life is not just a smooth and steady progression. I want to encourage you as we think about what we might want, not want to look at, that rather the spiritual life is inviting ourselves over and over again to turn to God's grace, our union in Christ, trusting that he will receive our hunger and thirst. So wherever you are this morning, whatever's happening in your life, I encourage you to take a look at it, to not distract yourself or move away, but to bring those things to God. Don't let religion be another source of control or self-righteousness, another way to keep things at a distance, but rather let Christ's call be something that interrupts and brings you anew to his table. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that it would speak to us, that by your spirit you would awaken us a desire to see and to look and to come to you with our need. In Jesus' name, amen.